Today is the end of season five. And I wanted to record a special episode for you. It's July 4th, 2019. And what I want to talk about today is some real life encounters I've had with demonically possessed people today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. First off, apologies to people who listen to the podcast day of. You'll be realizing this episode is late. This episode is coming out late. It's 11.40 when I'm recording it right now. Now, I had recorded... This is the end of season five, so I'm going to take a week off after this. And I had recorded a really cool episode, but I realized it was just a standard episode. And for the end of the season, I like to do something a little special. So I recorded the full episode and then went to celebrate the 4th of July. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July. It's one of my favorite holidays. Not a huge fan of the fireworks, but I'm a huge fan of America. And uh, if you can't tell, I'm a little drunk. But um, it's really cool. I really like the 4th of July. So let's go ahead. I want to record this episode because I like to end the seasons with personal stories. This is going to be an interesting one, I think. Because we're going to talk about my interactions with demons and demonically possessed people. This is a collection of stories, but they're going to start. Let's go ahead and start these. These are all fairly personal, and I I may not feel super comfortable telling them. There may be a little bit of hesitancy, but I think, I think they're really interesting stuff, and I think it'll inform you a lot about life, my life. So we're going to start off with my father. My father was a Southern Baptist minister. I grew up in the church. Actually, you know what? Let's even go farther back, because I'm kind of winging this episode. I know what I want to talk about, but every so often, I'll probably go off on a tangent. I don't know how many jokes are going to be in this episode, because they're fairly personal stories, but my grandfather, he's passed away now. Cliff Miller, great man, great, great man. He's passed away, though. And he said that he always had the calling to be a minister himself, but he chose not to go that path. He was a country musician. And he was the foreman of a construction company, which worked out very well in the end because he retired and got nice benefits. And him and his, him and my grandma, they both passed away. I love them so much, but they both passed away. But it ended up working well for them. He retired. He had great benefits, great retirement. And he continued to play music pretty much up until a year or two before he passed away. He played at most of his grandchildren's weddings and most of his children's weddings and state fairs and stuff like that. Miller High Lifes was the name of the country western band. But what happened was he had a calling to the ministry, but he didn't want to go into the ministry. He resisted the call. And once my grandma told me this story, she said, you know, grandpa felt compelled to join the ministry and he didn't want to. And he fought against it. And for the longest time, when he would sleep, he would dream of demons assaulting him, punishing him, after him. For not going into the ministry. Now, I don't think the demons were actually attacking him because he wasn't being a ministry. I think if anything, if it wasn't the dreams weren't based on the guilt of him not following the path that the universe set out for him. I think that it was more of a case that without being a minister, he would open himself up to these type of influences. Now, he was a good man. He never really did anything too wrong. You know, raised us right. He's a good man. 
But those dreams haunted him for a long time. That's just a little foreword to the type of stories we're going to be talking about today. So my father becomes a Southern Baptist minister. And one of his first preaching assignments is at Colton. Colton Baptist Church, I believe was the name. It was in Southern California, where I spent a good chunk of my childhood. He was, he was the main minister at Colton Baptist Church. And he said when he started there, he knew a man who he went to college with. So he went to California Baptist College in Riverside. That's where I grew up. And one of his friends who also went to CBC ended up being a deacon at Colton Church. And he asked, when he went there, his friend was no longer working there. And he asked one of the other deacons, hey, what happened to so-and-so? How come he doesn't work here? And his buddy goes, he saw something. He saw something in the church when he was here by himself. My dad's like, what? Deacon says, yeah, a good man. He's a good deacon. But one day he was in the church by himself and he saw something here and it scared him so badly he quit, never came back to the church. My dad's like, really? Like, I know the guy. He doesn't seem like the type of guy to do that. But the other deacon was like, yep, that's what happened. A couple months later, my father ran into his buddy who used to work at Colton. And he said, hey, man, he kind of joked about it. He goes, hey, so I heard something happen at the church and you quit. And my dad says, my friend's face went white. He's petrified. And he put his hand on my father's shoulder and said, it's not a joke. You know me. I saw something there. See, Colton had, like most churches, had intricate stained glass windows all around the church. But at the front of the church, where the cross is, where the pulpit is, and all of that stuff, there's a large stained glass window. And the deacon said one day he was in there alone and he was praying. And he heard a noise, an unearthly noise, a noise that you shouldn't ever hear. It was the sound of glass shifting, almost a noise that most of us wouldn't even be able to describe. These stories are 100% true as far as the fact that the people who told them, I trust. And he looks up, the deacon looks up at the stained glass window, and it was just a pattern. There was nothing, there was no, as far as I can remember, because I went to the church all the time, there was no cross, it was just a beautiful collage of multicolored glass. But he said he looked up and he saw the glass shift. So stained glass windows, if you don't know, I guess I should say this real quick, it's multi-pieces of glass. There's like a little piece of like a metal embossing, and then there'll be like a blue shard, and then another piece of like a yellow shard, and another piece of red shard, and there's always like these Metal lines in between it. It was this multicolored glass. It wasn't a single piece. And he looks up and he's watching the shapes of the glass shift. And within a few moments, there is a recognizable image. Now before it was just a collage of multicolored glass. But as he's watching and he's watching the shape shift, it makes the image, the unmistakable image of a serpent symbolically a creature associated with the devil. Now, whether or not it became a serpent or became a lollipop, the point of the story is that he watched something that is not possible physically happen in front of him. And not only that, it became an image associated with Satan, the adversary of God. He quit and never returned to Colton. My father is a very logical man. So even though a friend of his that told him this, that he really trusts, he kind of brushed it off. 
maybe a little bit of superstition. My father was the type of person who, generally in Southern Baptist households, they try to stay away from any iconography which can be associated with evil. One of those symbols is the owl. You will very rarely see portraits or statues or anything resembling an owl in the home of a Southern Baptist house. They consider that to be an evil omen. My father, because of that, bought a painting of an owl and hung it in our house. He is not a superstitious person. We always had a picture of a beautiful owl in our house. So he kind of brushed it off. But he continued to preach at Colton for the beginning of his career. But one day he comes home from work. And he tells my mom a story. We heard this story later. Not immediately, but when the following weeks he opened up to us. He said what happened was he was praying by himself in the church. And he heard a loud noise upstairs. Now we're talking about Riverside. We're talking about Southern California. This was in the 1980s. So the, so the gang epidemic was starting. My dad, at the same time, he worked at the church. He went to college. He also worked at Castle Park, which at the time was the world's largest arcade, as a security guard in Southern California. His job was when gangbangers would come in to hit him on the head with a nightstick. Totally different in the 1980s. People would come in wearing red, wearing blue, start mouthing off. But Dow hit him over the head with a nightstick. He's not someone who it tends to get scared. And I can tell you a ton of stories about my father in that type of setting. But he's praying in the church. He hears a noise upstairs. So his first thing is this isn't a very good neighborhood. Someone must have broken into the church. So he goes upstairs and he starts looking around. He's totally alone in the church. Doesn't find anybody. It's like, okay, must have been my imagination. He goes back downstairs. He's now in front of the pulpit and he's praying. He's meditating. He's thinking about what his next sermon is going to be. He's communicating with God. He hears the noise again. Sounds like someone's upstairs knocking stuff around. Now he knows there's no one upstairs. He checked the whole place out. There's no one up there. He knows what happened to his friend, the deacon. And he knows that part of being a minister is being distracted. He always talked about distractions, things that are out to distract people who are on the path. And I'm sorry if this episode's a little Christian heavy, but I hope that you enjoy the personal story. So he continued to pray and the noise would get louder and louder and louder. And it was the noise of someone banging stuff around upstairs. And no matter how much he prayed, no matter how much he focused on not getting distracted, the noise simply got louder. And he finally said, I have to find out the source of that noise. He stops praying, and the noise is continuing. He begins making his way through the church all alone. It was a two-story church. Begins making his way through the church, and he hears the noise coming from the choir room. And he enters the choir room, and there is a closet full of robes and he hears the noise and it sounds like someone is just pounding against the inside of this closet and he approaches it he's walking towards the closet and the noise is just getting louder and louder and louder and he opens up the closet door and everything goes quiet there's nothing in there but the robes are slightly moving He continued to preach at that church. He didn't let that scare him away. But years later, I heard another story. This time, we're going to shift to a story that my uncle had told me. My family's fairly religious family. 
My uncle was out on a religious camp, a religious retreat with his church. And he said they were all sitting around the campfire, the minister, the minister's wife, the parishioners of the church, and my uncle. It's a beautiful night out. It's warm. You feel the Lord where you're at. You're around other people who believe in what you believe in. You are at peace. And the minister says, let's all close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer, which is very typical among the Christian religion. So everyone closes their eyes and bows their head, including my uncle. And as they're praying, the minister is saying, you know, the standard, thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us together, making us a family. Something prompts my uncle to open his eyes. And he's the only one who does. And in the flicker of the flame, my uncle said he was looking at the minister. And then he looked at the minister's wife. And as the minister was administering this prayer, the minister's wife, sitting next to her husband as he delivers this holy prayer, her eyes are open and slightly rolled back in her head. Her tongue is sticking out and moving wildly around her mouth. And he looked at her and he thought, she's mocking him. She's mocking her husband. She's mocking the Lord. And her eyes just sat there, white, tongue wildly moving from side to side without making a noise. No one else heard it. No one else saw it. My uncle just closed his eyes and pretended he didn't see it. Didn't say anything to anyone that night. Didn't say anything for a year or two until he told my mother and my father that story. He said, it seemed to me that she was mocking God. It seemed to me that something was wrong with her. Now, obviously, the implication there is that she was possessed. Demonic possession is an interesting thing because it's something that the church, pretty much all churches worldwide, at least Western religions, have terms and cures and things to look for with people who are demonically possessed. And the scientific community goes, oh yeah, those things actually happen, but we think it's this medical thing. So it's not. It's one of those things that science can say, we don't believe in UFOs. Science will say, we believe that people can act possessed, but these are, these are, the, these are why. They have this mental illness or this type of chemical poisoning or whatever. So it's not something that science dismisses out of hand. They also see these symptoms. They just think the cause is something else. As opposed to science just saying Bigfoot doesn't exist, UFOs don't exist, ghosts don't exist. They'll say, yes, people do act weird and they wag their tongues and they flip around and stuff like that. But it's not a demon, it's X. So they admit that the symptoms are real. The only disagreement is the cause. So I remember hearing those stories when I was younger. And I remember once, I'll tell this story real quick. This wasn't on the itinerary, but I'll tell this story real quick. I remember once, so I was really sick, and I was sleeping in my bedroom. Me and my little brother shared a bedroom, and this was about 87 when we lived in Alameda. I was sleeping in my bedroom, and I was really, really sick, so my father was sleeping in my little brother's bed to keep an eye on me. And my mother was, my little brother was sleeping with my mom in their bedroom. My little brother wasn't doing too good either. I think we were both sick with something. And what happened was my dad 
And there's a hallway separating the two rooms. Merrick, you can visit this house if you want to. It's right next to Alameda Baptist Church. Merrick's a listener. He lives in Alameda. So I'm sleeping in my bedroom. My father's sleeping in my little brother's bed. My little brother's sleeping in bed with my mother. And my dad wakes up early in the morning, two or three in the morning, and he hears the sound of a child crying. And he's thinking, oh, Christopher must be really sick. That's my younger brother. I can hear him crying. Well, I'm sure my lovely wife will take care of it. But he keeps crying, and eventually my dad goes, I better check on him. I better check on him. So he gets out of bed, and he leaves my bedroom, and he goes into the hallway. And when he goes into the hallway, my mother is standing there. And they look at each other for a second. And my mom says, I thought Jason was crying. I could hear him crying. My dad just looked at her, then looked down towards the floor. And in between the both of them, they heard the sound of a child crying in the middle of the empty hallway at two in the morning. I remember the next night when we woke up, my father actually had a meeting with me and my brothers. And he says, listen, I got to talk to you guys. He goes, this is what happened last night. I told you, I told us the story I just told you. And he says, listen, here's the thing. This is part and parcel with being in the ministry. You're going to attract these type of forces. These are things to look out for, boys. And like a father would tell a child how to like a Boy Scout, how to light a fire, or how to use a pocket knife, or how to catch a ball. The things that fathers tell their kids to help them grow as young boys. He sat us down and talked to us about what to expect. He goes, you don't have to worry anything about demons, they can't hurt you. You don't have to worry anything about ghosts, they can't hurt you. But these are things you may encounter in this house. Stuff may move around. You may hear noises calling from a dark hallway. You may hear things that will frighten you, but don't worry, you are protected. Interesting conversation that a father has to have with his boys. But he felt it was necessary. Now, I never experienced anything in that house, but I experienced things after that on my own. I remember once, now at this point, I'm probably like 23, 24. I'm driving through Sacramento. I'm driving down Madison Lane, and I get to the Hazel intersection. So I'm driving down Madison, and it intersects with Hazel Avenue. Those are the two major thoroughfares through Orangevale, which is where I spent most of my time in Sacramento. And I remember sitting at a stoplight, and I see a car on Hazel getting ready to turn on Madison. And I'm looking at the car, and what draws my eye to this car? And this is probably just the normal day. This wasn't around Halloween. It was in the middle of the year. And I'm looking at a guy, and he's sitting at the intersection, and he's wearing a clown mask. Traditional clown mask, white face makeup, red nose, big red puffy hair, normal clothes. He wasn't necessarily wearing a clown clown outfit, but he was wearing full-on clown makeup. And I'm thinking, that's weird. And I noticed there's two kids in the backseat of this car. Could be a guy going to a costume party in a weird time of the year. Could be a professional clown. I don't know. But his light turns green and he starts to turn. Now I'm sitting there and as he's making the turn, he gets closer and closer to me. And I go, man, that's, that's an amazing looking clown mask. Like, look at those teeth. And that's when I realized that this guy isn't wearing a clown mask. He's wearing a monster clown mask. So whatever he was trying to do, he was trying to be spooky. Full clown mask. And it had these large, razor sharp teeth jutting from his gums. Now again, we've all seen creepy clown masks. It wasn't anything that struck me as odd. 
But as I'm sitting in the road and his car is getting closer and closer to mine as he's turning, I go, how how does that mask look so realistic? Because as the car was turning, he was talking to whoever was in the car. And I could see, I swear, this is so bizarre, but I could see the musculature in his face. I could see the teeth move ever so slightly. I could see the gums recede as he spoke, exposing more of these sharp needlepoint fangs. And as he drove past me and I got a really close look at him, I realized that's not makeup. That's not a mask. The best Hollywood special effects could not make a man look like a monster as much as he looked like a monster. And I thought the most disturbing part of what I'm seeing is the people in the back seat are not reacting to it at all. Nobody is. No one around me. No one's pointing. No one's looking. The children in the back seat are talking to whoever is in that front seat as if they looked normal. Now, could be they're used to seeing a man wearing a disgustingly realistic clown outfit in front of them. But as the car drove past and I could actually see the muscles of the cheek move realistically, incredibly realistically, in the way that the teeth and the gums and the lips pushed against each other as it spoke, I realized that is a human, but something else. And you're thinking, Jason, you just saw a man in a suit. But I saw something similar a few years later. I'm sitting in a drive through of a fast food restaurant. I'm just hanging out, waiting for my food. We didn't have cell phones. You just had to wait patiently for stuff. And I'm watching the people in front of me. Now, it's Sacramento, and Sacramento is full of weird people. But as I'm sitting behind this car, the passenger is talking to the driver. Normal conversation. You can just see them kind of moving their hands, gesturing, kind of moving their hands, talking every so often to look out the window, turn back to the driver, say a few more words. And the driver was violently and as hard as she could, punching herself in the face as hard as she could, as her neck twitched uncontrollably. I'm watching her head turn from side to side faster than is possible. So fast, you could see the blur of her face as she turned to the passenger, then spun back, almost in a whiplash-type action, and punching herself in the side of the face, as hard as she could. It looked like someone in the throes of an epileptic fit. But what was very odd is, one, people who have that type of epilepsy don't drive their cars, and secondly, the passenger continued the conversation like there was nothing wrong. And I'm wa- every so often, her, her, she would turn towards the passenger and I'd actually see her head kind of get stuck in a spasm. It would go, and then snap back. And she would punch herself right in the face. Sometimes it was like I, I could see her left fist just punching her right in the nose. Sometimes her right hand was just hitting her side of the head as hard as she could. And the passenger just continued to play with her hair as she looked out the window, turned back, and continued her conversation. So we have two incidents of me seeing something that's impossible. One is a incredibly realistic clown-esque creature. No makeup, no mask. None of, nothing like that is, is 
realistic as what I saw. And the people in the back not reacting to it in any sort of way. Maybe they are used to a creature in their front seat, or maybe he's a professional monster clown who can do on-the-fly special effects greater than any movie studio. Maybe the woman driving the car in front of the drive-thru was hardcore epileptic, and she just happened to be a good driver, and the person was used to watching another human smash her face in mid-conversation. Possible. Unlikely, though. Very, very unlikely. Now, all of this stuff, all of these stories, may seem unconnected. And maybe they are. But I think the issue was, is that because I could see them, they could see me. They could watch me and watch the expression on my face and see how I'm reacting to them, even though they appear human to everybody else. I believe they could notice that I noticed them. Because a while after that last sighting started the lost summer. The lost summer is a period of time when things got weird. Really weird. You know, it's funny, after I moved up to Hood River in 2011, that fall, next year I was talking to a friend of mine, and she goes, you know what? I swear to God she said this. She goes, you know what, Jason? I get the feeling that you saved the world. I just kind of looked at her. Because as little memory as I have, I do know that something important happened during the lost summer. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, and I will see you in one week. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Have a great one, guys.